Have you ever imagined fashion being as diverse as human culture? Have you ever dreamed of a respectful, ethical, and socially just fashion industry? Have you ever envisioned sustainability being at the core of the entire fashion system? This is your host, Laura Beltran-Rubio. I'm a fashion curator, researcher, and educator. My mission is to translate scholarly insights into actionable strategies that we can all take to reshape how we create, wear, and think about fashion. So find a comfortable seat, brew some tea, and open your notebook as you join me in the quest for redressing fashion. Welcome back to Redressing Fashion. Before I start publishing new episodes, I've created a collection of what I call loose thoughts that I've been writing and recording over the past couple years. These short episodes contain many of my reflections as both a fashion scholar and a fashion consultant in Colombia as I try to unpack the complex legacies of colonialism in present-day fashion. Please give them a listen, visit my blog for full transcripts, and some images that might be helpful, and let me know what you think. As I promised last time, today I return to the list with which I started this podcast, and which feels way too far in the past, with action steps towards learning how to constantly think and rethink that next fashion in order to strengthen the fashion systems of Abiyayala. My mission here is to highlight the need to question absolutely every narrative we're told from your North American perspectives about what fashion is and should be, whether it's Latinx fashion or not. To do so, I'll use my personal experiences as well as my experiences as an educator, as I end up doing almost inevitably these days. Let's begin with the latter. In a seminar on decoloniality and design that I've been teaching since last semester, we've spoken several times about the creation of knowledge, especially when it comes to design. Who has the right to narrate the histories of design? Why are we told some stories and so many others are left untold? And why do we believe almost blindly pretty much anything that we're told in a somewhat academic fashion? These questions are wide open and no doubt difficult to answer, especially in such a small space as this one. But in a few words, we could say that history, with capital H, is told by people who hold certain power, which is often endorsed by academic titles and certifications. Their points of view tend to ignore everything that's not hegemonic, according to the standards set by the globalized world in which we currently live. And we believe these people and their ideas because the structures behind Western and colonialist ways of thinking have taught us that they are the only sources of knowledge and information that are quote-unquote 100% trustworthy. In our class discussions, I've also realized that we believe in these sources because that's exactly what we've been taught to do since very early on. We learn to absorb information, to repeat and summarize what we're told, but never to question these ideas. 
there are very few spaces, especially within formal education systems, that foster criticism and encourage us to question what we're told, especially when it comes from figures that are considered experts or authorities on a certain subject matter. Maybe that's why we continue repeating ideas like fashion was born in 18th century France, or that there's no such thing as fashion in Abiyayala, as all we manage to do is copy foreign models. Or that the only look that actually represents Latinx aesthetics is the Caribbean tropicalism that is starting to get tired, for some of us at least. And this leads me to my personal experience. A few days ago, I listened to one of the latest episodes of one of the podcasts that's on my usual playlist while I move around Bogotá. And I was absolutely shocked by two things. First, that the person interviewed spoke such an intense Spanglish that I didn't even dare to share the episode because I feared that some of my followers wouldn't understand it for using so much English. And here I must note that this podcast is meant to be in Spanish and intended for a Spanish-speaking Latinx audience. The second aspect that shocked me was that the interviewee defined Latin American fashion and its attractiveness for the whole global fashion industry based on the extravagant, opulent, and even excessive stereotypes about Latinx identities, which have been imposed on us for so long. I don't know if I was the only person shocked by these two relatively minor aspects of a podcast episode that was otherwise informative and entertaining. But I have a feeling that they remain unquestioned by most of the people that have listened to this episode. And that's likely because the trope of Latin American fashion as tropical and excessive has been repeated at least since the dawn of European invasion of what we now call the Americas. One of the historical examples that I've analyzed in my research comes from a travel account published by the Spanish scientists Jorge Juan and Antonio de Ulloa in 1748. They commented that in Quito at the time, people of fashion dressed ostentatiously. Like Juan and Ulloa, other travelers wrote about the fashionable excesses of people who inhabited Abiyayala during and after the colonial period. In a way, This idea was likely an extension of the legend of El Dorado and other myths about the overflowing riches of the Americas, which actually ended up justifying many European colonial enterprises. But what I'd like to underline here is that the stereotype of Latinx tropical excess is so ingrained in our thought that we're still repeating it almost 300 years after Juan Andujoa commented on it. Even worse, we've internalized it so much that it now forms a constitutive part of how we construct and express our Latinx identities as both individuals and brands. My personal relationship with this trope has had ups and downs and many, many contradictions. I have shared my relationship with color in other spaces. But after rejecting it almost entirely during my first months as a graduate student in New York, I ended up returning to it as a way of reclaiming my origins and embracing an identity that I had denied at some point in order to fit in. But I also realized then that I was, and I am still, 
quite far from being that joyous and noisy Latina, curvy and sexy, that is so often portrayed in different kinds of media. Around this time, I was also forced to confront the harsh reality that however awful it may sound, I am part of that global north of our global south in South America. I am part of those privileged few that are so often so ignorant and so rarely empathetic that we tend to forget what being Latinx means, especially outside of Latin America. And I think it was there exactly when I learned to question everything around me. I can't point to a specific moment, but I can tell you that it was within the fissures and the contradictions that emerged within these processes of self-recognition and self-stereotypation that I learned to question. I learned to question everything that we're told about being Latinx. I learned to question what a Latina is, can, and should be in the New York fashion industry. And I learned to question the possibilities of a scholar of Latinx fashion in the whole wide world. And without noticing, I took the leap to what I still do today. I work towards a radical transformation of what we think about Latinx fashion, past and present, within and outside of Apiayala. This radical transformation is centered in questioning absolutely everything we've been told that fashion, Latinx or not, should be. That's why my PhD dissertation attempts to rewrite the history of Latinx fashion during the colonial times, focusing on the Viceroyalty of New Granada in the 18th and 19th centuries. That's why I adopt decolonial and counter-hegemonic perspectives whenever I teach about fashion studies and design studies. That's why I publish this podcast and I try to share as many ideas as openly as possible on social media. But I've now come to realize that this ability to question is also the fruit of my own privilege. A particular kind of education and opportunities, as well as having quite a loud voice that is heard by many, and which I shouldn't take for granted. So what about those who don't have the chance to question everything so openly, for whatever reason? And how can we foster more critical approaches towards fashion, even among the general public, so to speak? I honestly don't have clear answers yet. In my courses and in social media, I try to note the importance of questioning absolutely everything every time I can. And writing this newsletter or recording this podcast might also contribute. But is this enough? And what else could we do? As usual, I need you to help me answer these questions. What do you think? Original podcast episodes will air starting on January 11th, 2024. So I hope I can entertain you with this collection of loose thoughts until then. And... In case you want to subscribe to my email list to be notified when the first official episode goes live, I've left the link to join in the podcast notes for this episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. You know that I love a good conversation about fashion, so please don't hesitate to email me or message me on social media to continue discussing any of the ideas introduced in this episode. 
If you liked what you heard, please follow the podcast, leave a review, or share it with your favorite fashion friends. It does make a huge difference as we try collectively to build more spaces for thoughtful and nuanced conversations that can truly help us redress fashion.